Well, good morning, everybody. As you will know, I don't know that there's anybody here who doesn't know who I am, but my name is Deb, and I'm going to try and help us understand these verses in Haggai chapter 2, verses 10 to 19, and see what we can learn from it today. Well, we've been looking at the thought of kingdom perspectives in, um, in Haggai, and the first couple have been on kingdom priorities, and last week was on kingdom expectations, and today's looking at kingdom faithfulness. So, okay, I'll just give you a little bit of a summary, just for those who may not have been here the last few weeks and haven't had a chance maybe to look at the video. The first, couple of, the first chapter of Haggai is looking at the fact that the remnant of Israel have now returned to Jerusalem after 70 years of being in exile in Babylon. Now, when God allowed them to return to their land, he commanded that they rebuild the city, but they were to start with rebuilding the temple. Well, they got started right away, but all they got done was the foundation and the altar, and then they decided to quit for 16 years. So after 16 years of doing nothing, Haggai, God sent Haggai and Zechariah to remind them of what they were actually supposed to be doing. To their credit, they listened and they started to get busy rebuilding the temple. Now, here we are in this passage today, about three months later, and there's a problem. Things weren't going quite as well as they seemed. They were working hard, but their hearts were in the wrong place. Remember back in chapter one what the main problem was? The people were basically self-centred. Remember it talked about you're building your panelled houses, but what about my temple? You're putting your home and things first. So Haggai is trying to show them this morning in this passage, God is using him to share these words to help to give them a different perspective. Okay, so what are we going to learn from this passage today? First of all, we learn that God can actually use our past experiences to help deter others and ourselves from making the same mistakes. Haggai had actually witnessed the Babylonians destroying Jerusalem and had also returned with his, its inhabitants only to find out that they would still not fully obey God. He stops them short in their path and reminds them what happens when they disobey. So essentially he's saying, I've actually seen with my own eyes what's transpired when people don't obey God, so please don't repeat history. Don't repeat itself. So that's the first thing. The second thing, we learn to trust God's voice alone. As we know, Satan hates restoration. And he'll do whatever he can to stop it. And in the case of Haggai, he uses the foreign powers to deter the progress of rebuilding the temple. The foreign enemies and Satan knew full well what would happen if God's glory returned to the temple. So not only would Israel prosper in a physical sense, but in a spiritual sense as well. So be prepared and be warned that in the same way Satan will try to deter us from helping lead others to Christ and preventing the Holy Spirit from entering the temples of their hearts. So during those times we must listen to God's voice 
and we must turn to his word and remember his power and his promises, like Romans chapter 8, that God will love us no matter what, that no power on this earth can separate us from his love. So here we are in the 24th day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Ask now the priests concerning the law. So we've got a couple of questions here for the priests. One of them, If one is bearing holy flesh in the skirt of his garment, and with his skirt he touches bread or pottage or wine or oil or any meat, shall it be holy then? And the priests say, No. Now, there were all kinds of laws that God gave in Leviticus concerning holy and unholy things. And there were lots of ways that you could defile yourself. So anything you touched would become defiled. So he's asking the priest, is bearing this holy flesh, and with his skirt he touches something that is common, is the holy flesh then still considered holy? The answer is no, because holiness actually isn't contagious or transferable. We can't catch holiness. It's interesting how that the priests and the scribes and the Pharisees in the days of Jesus, when they would actually go down the street, they would wrap their coats tightly around them because they didn't want them flaring out and touching things because they might accidentally actually touch something unclean. Well, this is the kind of holiness that Jesus, of course, spoke much so much against. This hypocritical kind of, well, I'm holier than thou, so don't touch me. I'm too holy to be touched or to touch other people. They, of course, found fault with Jesus because he ate with common people. He ate with the sinners and the publicans. He would actually partake of the same soup and bread. So the second question If one that is unclean by a dead body or has touched a dead body, so you are therefore ceremoniously unclean, and if he touches any of these things, shall it be unclean? Well, the priests say, yes, of course. Haggai's saying then, well, this is the people and this is the nation before me, says the Lord. And so is every work of your hands and that which they offer, therefore, is unclean. So this law of what's unclean by touching unclean things was this mixture. It was trying to mix the spiritual with the material. And the Lord says, hang on, it's all unclean. Again, God's pointing out holiness isn't contagious. So the ruined temple that was representing the people's misplaced priorities was actually, what they were saying, was like a dead corpse in the midst, infecting every part of what they were doing. That's a pretty scary thought, that we can be doing God's work, but with the wrong attitudes, and we can actually be desecrating his work because of the wrong heart attitude. It's quite a a solemn thought. During the week, I had an Instagram feed come up that was very pertinent I thought to this and it was from now the late Tim Keller and this is what he says about holiness most Old Testament scholars say that the practical aspect was for the Jews to stick with all of the dietary laws and the clothing laws and that all these laws made them holy 
and it was a way of setting them apart from the other nations. That was why they had them. So that they were able to keep their culture and not become polluted with the idolatries around them. The word holy doesn't just mean what we think it means. And we usually think holiness means to be moral. Well, no. Literally, the Hebrew word for holy means set apart. And so therefore they talked about the pots and the utensils sometimes in the tabernacle being holy because they were being set apart and used for God. To be holy doesn't mean, of course, that a person who is a holy person, someone who obeys the word of God, well, of course we know that that is true. But holiness isn't just being obedient or complying to rules. Holiness is being holy or completely dedicated. It's dedicating your life and doing everything, not for you and not for other people, but for God himself. They were the words of Timothy Keller. Well, why has Haggai used this illustration? To get the people to take a fresh look at where they were. They were working so hard for the Lord's work. They were building the temple just like they were supposed to be doing. They were doing all the good churchy things. They were being good and religious. But the problem was they had dirty hearts. Because they were doing churchy things in the hope that these things would clean them up. But religion won't do a thing to clean you up. And churchy things won't do a thing to clean you up. A fresh start requires that we take a hard look at where we are and why are we doing the things that we do. Are we doing them with a clean heart? Or are we doing them as a way to try and clean up our dirty heart? Not only does a fresh start require us to look at where we are, it requires us to look at where we once were. Well, don't you think this shocked them? I'm sure this shocked them. Because surely they were thinking our activities merited some sort of, um, well, I don't know, God's merit, God's praise. But actually, it was desecrating the work they were doing because they didn't have holy hearts. And now it says in verses 15 and 16, Now I pray you do consider or give careful thought to five times in the two chapters of Haggai. The Lord says for Haggai to use the words, consider this, give careful thought to. From this day onward, from before one stone is placed on another in the temple of the Lord, since those days when one came to a grain heap of 20 measures, there were only 10. When one came to the wine vat to draw 50 measures out of the press, there were only 20. In other words, from these days on, you've had a lot of shortages. These days when there wasn't enough to go around, the days before you started this building again of the temple, now he says again, consider this, pay attention. When I smote you with blasting and mildew and hail of all the labours of your hands, yet you still didn't turn to me, says the Lord. But consider now from this day onward, from the 24th day of the ninth month, even from the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider this, is the seed yet in the barn, including the vine, the fig tree and the pomegranate and the olive tree? It's not brought forth yet. Yet from this day on, I will bless you. That confuses me. Sometimes God allows things to happen to us 
allows things to happen to the Israelites time and time and time again, and they continue to disobey, as we sadly find ourselves often being disobedient. But the moment our heart turns back to him, the very moment we are forgiven and he is faithful. So he's saying to them, from this day on, yet from this day on, I will bless you. In keeping with God's covenant in Deuteronomy 28, where God promises to bless Israel if they obey and curse them if they disobey, he's saying, look, you've been going through some rough times. You haven't had enough to go around. Why? Because their priorities were wrong. You were putting your needs and yourself first. Put me first and I'll take care of you. Sounds kind of simple when it's said like that, isn't it? Put me first and I'll look after you. So now as they began to build the temple again and began to give themselves into the labour of the temple, the prophet came and said to them, now look, mark this day. Take note, remember, because it will help you in the future. Things are going to change and now you've got your priorities straight and now you've put God in the place he should be first in your life God will take care of you and God will provide for you. Simply for us, put God first in our life and God will take care of the rest. So despite the people's faithlessness, the Lord promised to change their situation from cursings to blessings. And he ends his third message on a positive note, yet from this day I will bless you. The God of Israel promised to pour out his abundant blessings on his covenant people, turning their crop failure into abundance. The Lord is truly a gracious God, desiring to bless his people. Okay, that's the passage. So how does it help us? How does Haggai chapter 2 verses 10 to 19 help us today in 2023? We didn't have a group of Babylonians come and ransack our city. But we have experienced a great deal of destruction from the hands of humans to natural disasters and to pandemics. And when it comes time for us to rebuild from tragedy, Satan will step in. And he will try to prevent Christians from spreading the gospel. He'll try to distract us and stop us in our tracks. So during those times, we've got to remind ourselves of the prophet Haggai. And like him, we can remind each other our brothers and sisters in Christ, to press on, to ignore the voices of this world and listen to God alone who protects, heals, restores and is with us always. Now I'm going to refer to and mention a few things from a lady called Johnny Erickson Tater. Some of you may have heard of Johnny. She talks often of God's faithfulness. At the age of 14... Johnny realised her need of God and asked him into her life. During her school years, that initial feeling began to wane as her dreams became very self-centred. Dreams like, God, help me to lose weight. God, help me to find a boyfriend. Oh, give me good, good grades on my test. Johnny said in a strange way, I thought I had done Jesus a big favour by accepting him as my Lord and Saviour. And in my senior years of high school, I realised something very, very significant. And she said, Lord, I am not doing this Christian life right. And I don't want to go through my college life and defame your name and smear your reputation. Please do something in my life to jerk it right side up 
because I'm really living this life wrong. A few weeks after high school graduation and before heading to college, Johnny went off to the beach with her sister for a swim. And that day, after diving off a raft into very shallow water, crunching her fourth cervical vertebrae and severing her spinal cord. Her response, God, is this really the answer to a prayer to become closer to you? Because if it is, I'm never going to trust you with one of my prayers again. I'm a new Christian. How could you possibly have taken me so seriously? That's her conversation with God. How could you take me so seriously? She said friends encouraged her and they shared the verse, Jeremiah 29, 11, where God said he had a plan to prosper me and give me a hope and a future. She says to God, you said in Jeremiah, you have a plan to prosper me and not harm me. Well, what do you call paraplegia, uh, quadriplegia? What's that all about? As I read that verse in the context around it, she realised something, that when God said that, he was saying it to his children who were dragged away into captivity by the Babylonians going into exile and slavery. The same people and the generations after that we've been talking about. They had decades ahead of them of hard, awful suffering and I began to see that God's plans for me for a hopeful future were not necessarily jumping around, walking, dancing, being able to use my arms and my legs. His plans for me went far deeper a deeper healing, a precious healing of the soul. Because as I was pushed into the arms of God every morning, even to this day, as it was then in the hospital, every morning I wake up and say, Jesus, I can't do this thing called life. Please help me. Please show up. Please give me the strength because I can't make it through the day. Because I go to God with that, an earnest dependency upon his grace every day, I experience the sweetest, most precious, most intimate union with Jesus Christ. So in Jeremiah 29, when God says he won't harm us, it doesn't mean the body or our circumstances. He won't do anything to harm our souls. Yes, our body might get harmed, but somehow it will enrich our souls. Johnny has been a quadriplegic now for 56 years and battled cancer twice. Her motto for the Christian life is, you have to die to self and rise to Jesus every day. That's obedience. So a question for us in finishing. Who has your heart? I mean, who really has your heart? What do you think of first thing in the morning? What grips your heart? Where do your affections lie? God has given us the very air that we breathe. Peace, faith, hope, mercy, goodness, salvation and, it, and so many other things. He's given us his life. If he has given you all these things and more, can we not give him our heart? Because that's what he's asking for now and in this passage. If your heart is set on worldly things, the more your heart becomes a heart of this world, the further away our hearts will get from the Lord. 
He has a perfect plan and purpose for us and we must live with a desire for heaven in all circumstances to not let our hearts crave worldly things. The well-known verse in Matthew 6, it says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and when thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. Only this morning, playing Spotify, came up the beautiful hymn, Be Thou My Vision. And there's the words. There they were right in front of me again this morning. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Be all else but naught to me, save that thou art. Be thou my best thought in the day and the night, both waking and sleeping, my presence, my light. And then riches I heed not, nor vain, empty praise, be thou mine inheritance now and always. Be thou and thou only the first in my heart. O high king of heaven, my treasure, thou art. So, in this passage, kingdom faithfulness, it means being trustworthy, reliable, firm. We have to put holiness before service, we need to be obedient and set apart to do his work. We need to be faithful as he is faithful. How? By dying to self every day. God bless you.